0: Hello, 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 hello. Let's get into it. I am gonna do another fast 10. This is for November 8th, 2022. Yeah, let's get going. Hello, I am Merwatt, and that is ometown.com. Go over there, become a citizen, also follow me here on Twitch and Let's change that number. I haven't actually asked about that, and I don't know how long, but let's see if we can get that moving again. That said, I'm going to go into the news. Um, I'm feeling a little under the weather today, and um, I'm going to go crash. It's been a long week. Long couple of weeks, but I am determined to do an entire year of all of these shows. Uh, Well, every show every day at six o'clock, I staggered it a couple of times and then expand, get off the ground running or flying. I don't know. I'm mixing my metaphors. But anyway, we're going to get going on the news today. The very first article is uh, FTX T-shirts and swag were stashed away in trash bags during Miami's Art Basel. I'm not sure what, what that is. Miami's Art Basel. Uh, and some crypto diehards took them home as souvenirs. Solana, the Solana Embassy. Once backed by Sam Bankman fried gave away free FTX t-shirts at Art Basel. FTX merchandise was put on, or put in the space's storage room, but people still wanted to take photos with it. Bankman Freed had promised a $100 million investment into gaming projects at the Solana blockchain, or on the Solana blockchain. Crypto companies have been a mainstay at Art Basel Miami Beach over the past few years. I'm not really into uh, crypto really all that much. Uh, I've known about it since its inception, but I always had a, I don't know, a concern about it. It still exists, obviously, but, and there's myriad uh, solutions out there in crypto, but man. Anyway, I'll just leave it at that. Just a a kind of a shocked man. That said, uh, this article is over at businessinsider.com. Brittany Nguyen, or uh, hopefully I think I'm pronouncing it properly. Let me know. The Solana Embassy once backed by Sam Bankman-Fried gave away free FTX t-shirts. At Art Basel? I keep saying it with a question mark. I know it doesn't need one. Anyway, crypto companies have been a mainstay. And while Sam Bankman-Fried may have been or may be busy conducting a media tour from the Bahamas, his fallen firm FTX was still represented. Merchandise from the now bankrupt uh, cryptocurrency exchange was seen in a storage room at the Solana Embassy in Wynwood, a store and education center for the Solana blockchain, which was once backed by Bankman-Fried. Among the stash were close to 1,000 FTX Miami t-shirts. FTX beanbags. Well, somebody's getting kicked in the beanbag. A framed Miami Heat jersey that featured an FTX logo. And a signed poster of chess grandmaster Magnus Carlsen, who took part in an FTX-sponsored tournament. All that hype. And guess what? Nothing but BS. There's more over at this article, um, but it says here the the price of Solana token S.O.L. fell to $13.50 at the beginning of December after being worth over $30 at the beginning of the month last month before FTX's collapse. So what do you think is going to happen to Solana? They're going to have to pivot somewhere else, I suppose. I'm really wondering why everything's being so... You know, kid glove handling of Sam Binkman Freed. Is it because not enough politically connected and rich people were exploited? That's my claim. You know, and while I'm doing this, let's do it the old-fashioned way. Exclamation point Showbot will send you a link to hometown.showbot.tv. I'm going to click this link so that, or I should say, submit this over to that Showbot uh, location. So ometown.showbot.tv, go over there. You can vote on articles that you find interesting. Um, I normally prep this beforehand, but like I said, I was feeling under the weather today. Um, the next article is over in the Word and Tech. Murder a 1600s pirate hit out in U.S. colonies with impunity. Sure, apparently they had some money. One tarnished silver coin at a time, the ground is yielding new evidence that in the late 1600s, one of the world's most ruthless pirates wandered the American colonies with impunity. Well, why would they actually know it? William J. Cole over at fizz.org is the author of this article. Not quite sure. Wow, well, it's a metal detectorist. A metal detectorist. All right. Newly-surfaced documents also strengthen the case that English buccaneer Henry Every, the target of the first worldwide manhunt, manhunt, hid out in uh, New England before sailing for Ireland and vanishing into the wind. Quote, At this point, the amount of evidence is overwhelming and indisputable, historian and metal detectorist Jim Bailey, who's devoted years to solving this mystery, told the Associated Press, Every... Every... So, every was undoubtedly on the run in the colonies. It was the one-armed man. Uh, anyway, uh, so four 17th century silver coins with Arabic inscriptions rest together on a table. Dun, dun, dun. Research confirmed that the exotic coin was minted in, eight, uh, in 1693 in Yemen. Bailey then discovered that it was consistent with millions of dollars worth of coins and other valuables seized by Every and his men in their brazen September 7, 1695 sacking of Ganj-e-Sawai, an armed royal vessel owned by Indian Emperor Arangzib. Huh. Let's see here. Interesting. So, detectorists and archaeologists have since located 26 similar coins stretching from Maine to the Carolinas. All but three coins turned up in New England, and none can be dated later than when the Indian ship was captured. Pretty cool. So, I guess you really can find stuff. Just walking around in a field here. I thought it was mainly the UK, right? But this was here in the U.S. colonies. Sorry for the dead air. I'm kind of shocked that they would be able to find a you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they put all of the pieces together. Or yeah, you know, this is the 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 going uh, explanation for this stuff, and it aligns with this particular pirate. Every is known to have seized a considerable, a considerable amount of gold while sailing off uh, the coast of West Africa. And the latest evidence putting every on American soil isn't just metallic. It includes paper and pixels. All right. This is pretty cool. So captured pirates William Phillips and Edward Seville... Testified on August 27, 1696, that one of two ships that left the Bahamas went to Virginia and New England and started a cryptocurrency called FT... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, Went to Virginia and New England before reaching Ireland, critically, Bailey said. The records clarify a muddy timeline that long has been misinterpreted by historians to suggest every lingered two months on the Caribbean island, Something he'd never have done as a fugitive yeah, you linger too long. You get you get captured. There's no way he stayed on the Bahamas to sit on the beach and work on his tan while waiting to be captured. Bailey said yeah, on a ship he can run or eliminate. Pretty cool. Okay. So let's go on to the next article and that's what that one's in the mobile channel, say hello to the toughest material on earth. And um, scientists have measured the, tu- the highest toughness ever recorded by any material while investigating a metallic alloy mo- made of chromium, cobalt, and nickel. Tungsten carbide drills. Uh, man. Uh, not only is the metal extremely ductile, which in material science means highly malleable, and impressively strong, meaning it resists permanent deformation. Its strength and ductility improve as it gets colder. This runs counter to most other uh, materials in existence. Although, let's see, it improves as it gets colder, but what are we gonna use it for? I'm, I'm curious what they say in the article. Um, Aliyah Kovner over at Lawrence, Berkeley National Laboratory put this article together for phys.org and they have a microscopy generated image showing the path of a fracture and uh, let's see what else is in here did they actually say it in the and accompanying crystal structure deformation in the CRCONI alloy at nanometer scale. Well, this one is above my pay grade, but I can learn a little bit about it with you. Uh, The team, led by researchers from Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, or Berkeley Lab, and Oak Ridge National Laboratory, published a study describing the uh, record-breaking findings in science. Quote, when you design structural materials, you want them to be strong but also ductile and and, uh, resistant to fracture, said Project Co-lead. Azo George, and Governor's Chair for Advanced Alloy Theory and Development at ORL, and the um, University of Tennessee. Typically, it's a compromise between these properties, but this material is both, and instead of becoming brittle at low temperatures, it gets tougher, which is kind of interesting, um, but what does its result in uh, hotter situations? <laughs> I guess you wouldn't use it there, right? But uh, anything that, if it isn't actively cooled, it's going to uh, warm up. If there's ambient air that's warmer than whatever it currently exists in, if it warms up somewhere, is it gonna become weaker? Because it gets stronger when it's colder. So I, I don't think that you can have it both ways. All the alloys in use today contain a high proportion of one element that lower amounts are with lower amounts of additional elements added, but HEAs are made of an equal mix of each constituent element, so high entropy alloys. These balanced atomic recipes appear to bestow some of these materials with an extraordinary uh, high combination of strength and ductility when stressed, which together make up what is termed toughness. So the toughness of this material near liquid helium temperatures is as high as 500 megapascals square um, square root meters. In the same units, the toughness of a piece of silicon is 1. The aluminum airframe in passenger airplanes is about 35, and the toughness of some of the best steels is around 100. So 500 is a staggering number, said research co-leader Robert Ritchie. A senior faculty scientist at uh, in Berkeley Labs, material sciences division, and the what is I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. Chua, professor of engineering at UC Berkeley. Well, that's incredibly tough, but well compared to the others. But again, it's near liquid helium temperature, so it'll have its particular uses. Uh, like always, there's much, much more over at this article. But where would it be used? In uh, areas where um, dramatically cold temperatures are required. So you could use something like this in liquid cooling, something like a, a quantum computer um, or other elements. Um, They're not in my forte. So I'd have to go and do a little bit more research to talk about it. But yeah, you'd be able to have something incredibly strong that won't shatter under the cold. Definitely use it out in space perhaps. Although insulation, it's a little bit more complex than space isn't necessarily where this would be used. It's that's actually a pretty complex situation. So let me move on to the next article. And um, this next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. And it says here, a pair of jeans recovered in a shipwreck and believed to be made by Levi Strauss in 1857, just sold for $95,000, that's inflation for pants. Um, A pair of miner's pants recovered from an 1857 shipwreck were sold last week for a hefty price tag. Additional items discovered in the shipwreck, including uh, pistols, gold bars, eyeglasses, also up for auction. This isn't the first time vintage Levi's recently sold for a small fortune. Jeans from 1880s sold for $76,000 in October. I actually covered that. Um, Well, I talked about it on the show uh, back in October. They found it in a mine, old, abandoned mine. I actually talked about the finding of the items and then the auction of the items. And now again, it's being mentioned. So I, I don't know. Maybe I have an affinity for jeans. Vintage clothing is making a comeback as Gen Z covets secondhand clothing from the 90s and early aughts. Uh, but one buyer last week took the trend to an entirely new level by buying these jeans. This is over at businessinsider.com. Samantha Deloy. Deloie? Deloie? I'm not sure. These actually look pretty cool. I don't know if they're wearable, but hey, $95,000? Anyway, that has a really cool design. Somebody is going to fabricate these jeans, or this style at least, uh, because that looks really cool. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, so they found these older jeans. This one's in a shipwreck. The other ones were in a mine. There's actually a person that focuses on finding these old jeans and um, selling them at auction. Let's see what else is in here. The total price of the miner's pants, including auction house fees, came to $114,000. Man, that is a lot of money for a pair of jeans and that's it right there okay um did i put no i didn't put these on there dun, dun, dun. let me let me throw this into the um uh, show bot. okay there you go so the next article is uh, u.s gas prices are now lower than a year ago you know it it almost um stands a reason that um Fluctuations happen in the price of gases, and it's really built uh, gases in the price of gas, and it is um, really hinging on corporate greed and being able to exploit um, to get greater profit at the cost of so many other things. And uh, this basically stands the reason the conflict is still going on. In fact, we have a pipeline that shut down because of a leak. Um, the Keystone pipeline just got shut down because of a leak. Um, so really, what what's the why is it suddenly lower, huh? Maybe it's because people are starting to get pissed off at high prices, and corporate is saying, oh, we better lower our prices. Huh, golly, a visible symbol of inflation for much of the year prices at the pump have been driven down by reduced global demand and tumbling oil prices. Now, hold on. <laughs> I'm going to do this live. I'll do it live. Let's see. So only today. Well, in the last, hmm, I don't know. Couple of days. It's been lowering. It's $10 lower. um, Today. Now. I basically stopped looking when it was at 84. So does that translate into lower prices? I don't know. Not this soon, uh, but up until maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago, I have been looking at those oil prices and those oil oil prices were somewhere around the 87 to $92 a, uh, a barrel mark. Um, and now they're at 76. So, huh, what, what really is going on? And now uh, an oil pipeline is out of commission. So maybe we'll see those start jumping back up again. Uh, the reversal of the price escalation that accompanied Russia's invasion of Ukraine will ease pressure on American consumers dealing with the high cost of other essentials. So the reversal of the price escalation that accompanied Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Huh. But the invasion's still going. So why does that make a difference? Why is it reversing? The drop in gasoline prices was led by a decline in worldwide energy demand, right? Everybody has just stopped using gas, right? That's what happens. Everybody decides together. Hey, you know what? Let's stop using gas. Now gas is still being used. The national average for a gallon of uh, gasoline here in the States is uh, $3 and 33 cents on Thursday, according to AAA a year ago, the average price at the pump was 334. Um, and I don't really like following on just the previous year um, because the, the year before that, it was somewhere close to $5, right? So at their peak, gasoline prices were just, oh, they, they actually talk about it, just over $5 a gallon in mid June. The price of West uh, Texas Intermediate Crude, the U.S. benchmark that serves as the main driver, yeah, it says crossing below $72 a barrel after trading over 120 in March and June. Yeah, it's been a long year. So I wonder if all of those stickers that say Biden did this, I did this, that kind of thing, are now getting scraped off all over the nation. Probably not. Anyway, let's move on to the next article. This one's in the Warcrafter channel. Truckload of limited edition handheld gaming consoles was stolen. You know what? I missed this last article as well. Sorry about that. Normally, I load it all up, and then I and now I'm starting to post them um, front loaded over onto Showbot, but also while I'm doing the stream. Um, but I skipped this one. Okay, so a truckload of limited edition handheld gaming consoles was stolen. This is over in the Warcrafters channel, but it was aggregated from pcgamer.com. Jeremy Laird is the author of this, and um, it's called Evercade. Um, EXP, limited edition consoles. Uh, I haven't heard of these, but I wanted to see more about this. So it says a full truck of KDXP retro handheld consoles was stolen earlier this week. The consoles were all KDXP limited edition variants in transit and destined for non-EU customers in the UK, US, and other rest of world territories. In total, $600,000 worth of the pocketable consoles were taken. Every single one of these is going to have a barcode on it, right? Like uh, there's going to be, hopefully they're serialized, right? But maybe inside, maybe somewhere on the outside. I suspect on the inside there'd be a way to track them as assets. So what's going to happen with these, right? So as for what happens for anyone who ordered one of these stolen consoles... Uh, buy it says plans are already afoot. Yeah, they'll just get it replaced. They may not actually get it before Christmas, but it says uh, our n- customers are our customers are our number one concern. Blaze have already started reproduction of the affected stock, and we aim to ship this as fast as possible to fulfill all orders. And with the support of fun stock, providing updates to all affected customers. Yep, there you go. So it says here that Evercade EXP is a pocketable retro console with a 4.3 inch, 8x480 uh, pixel IPS screen, 720p mini HDMI out, Wi-Fi 4 to 5 hour battery, and a USB-C charger. You know what? I bet you this one has the charger on the bottom. I'm looking at you Steam Deck. Anyway, um, I think their last name is pronounced by it. By it, also told that uh, or said that Funstock is and was the only online retailer of the limited edition, and that any other third-party listing may be suspicious and can be reported to interested at evercade.co.uk. Wow. It says the limited edition is no longer available for sale. So if you see it over on eBay, be the change you want to see in the world and report it so that an investigation can be done. I'm sure somebody out there is just going to go and scoop it up. Like a voting machine that miraculously ends up somewhere. Um, let's go here. Let's do this. So, the next article is over on the Hatch Ideas channel. The clock is ticking for Apple. It officially has 24 months to release its USB C iPhone under new EU rules. That'll probably usher in a, a global change to uh, that connector. The European Union has set an official deadline for. When smartphones sold, must uh, have a USB-C port. Apple previously confirmed it'll comply with the EU rule, but it doesn't seem happy about the requirement. Yeah. A port-free iPhone that only charges wirelessly may also technically follow the new EU rule, but would represent a bigger shift. I think that would be amazing. Apple has 24 months to make an iPhone with a USB port. Now that the EU has set an official deadline, so let's see here. Brittany Nguyen, um, maybe it's Win. I'm not sure. Let's see. Is the author over at businessinsider.com. Let's see where I can find something. That's a little more interesting down here. The company holds around 23% of the smartphone market in Europe. According to Strategy Analytics 2021 Smartphone Sales Research, there's a link over at the Business Insider site. Um, Let's see. Joswick said, uh, doesn't mind governments telling us what they want to accomplish, but that Apple engineers are pretty smart. Really? Uh, For example, he said Apple engineers made, quote, an industry standard, hearing aid for iPhones after the U.S. government made a regulation for mobile phones to meet a hearing aid compatibility that he said didn't work. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, if you can imagine it, somebody can pretty much engineer it as long as it isn't, you know, sci-fi, super fantastical, magical, whatever, for crying out loud. But engineering is what engineers do. An estimated 11,000 tons of e-waste are made each year from thrown away and unused chargers. The European Parliament said the USB-C charger could save people up to 250 million euros a, a, a year, it said, because they won't have to buy different chargers. Okay, or make it all wireless. Why not make that mandate? Theoretically applicable could technically avoid having to follow the rule by making an iPhone that charges exclusively wirelessly. Yeah, then people have to buy wireless chargers. I wonder which direction Apple will go. They already have the wireless charging platform in place. Time to shuffle the market around. Every time Apple releases a new device Even if it's the same device, right? So it's an iPhone 12, and they make the next edition, you know, iPhone 12 SE or whatever it is. They release another one, the the exact same thing, 12 Pro B. The camera shifts a little bit, and you have to buy a whole new case. Or the buttons move down half an inch, you have to buy a whole new case. Or you break out a Dremel and... Things look a little suspect. Anyway, the next article is, We are watching Elon Musk and his fans create a conspiracy theory about Wikipedia in real time, fresh off his disastrous acquisition of uh, Twitter and a batch of new promises about Neuralink. Elon Musk fans have been eager to find the next project for the billionaire to sink his teeth into, some have suggested that he buy Wikipedia, the global collective non encyclopedia that serves as an international commons for knowledge online. You know the one. The one that everybody can edit and then everybody else comes along and cleans up the BS that somebody else tries to promote. There's one problem, however. It's not for sale. But I think if there is a price big enough that can come down the line... I don't know. Let's say forty-five billion dollars. I'm pretty sure Wikipedia would budge. Wikipedia has long espoused as one of the more as of its core principles that it's not for sale and will be operated exclusively through Wikimedia, Miku, uh, Wikimedia Foundation, the nonprofit foundation behind the encyclopedia. Thanks, Vice. This is uh, done over by. This article is written by uh, Jason Kobler and Edward Anguiso over at vice.com. And uh, here's Elon Musk saying, yeah, I spent $45 billion on Twitter. He's got his thumbs up. What has two thumbs and spent $45 billion on a social network? That guy. Uh, there's just one problem. However, it's not for sale. So, what do you think? Do you think Wikipedia can get scooped up? And what are they talking about this conspiracy? Is that that's what they're saying, right? They're saying create a conspiracy theory about Wikipedia in real time, so that it is compromised. That it's um, I don't know providing information that's uh, at least reliable. All the way up to the college level at least i mean there colleges accept wikipedia um, information uh, i've actually seen research papers published with um, wikipedia as a primary source uh, wikipedia is voting on the deletion of the entry for elon musk's twitter files because the editors have deemed it a nothing burger quote unquote i hate that phrase Uh, That is not notable because the media didn't give it enough coverage. These people work hand-in-hand with the MSM to shape the narrative. Right. Because there's nothing controversial or, or demonstrably correct in Wikipedia because mainstream media wanted it something other than what's published in Wikipedia. Sure. Let's see. Most of Earth the msm is biased wikipedia cite msm source to confirm this claim wikipedia has a non trivial left wing bias so does society <laughs> society has a left wing bias it's a, it's a social construct you you <laughs> god i don't get it look around Every single state, except one that is entrenched in a theologically bent uh, mandate for who lives in it, primarily, you know, the home base of a religious doctrine. And you will see that in every single state, the highly dense locations swing democratic. Why? Because it, they are open. The. <laughs> democratically aligned people embrace the multitude, the plurality of people, and I, I can show it. I I've done the research on this. I've looked through all of the states. I can't talk about other countries because the information there is wholly different. Um, it, but within the United States, I can speak to the very nature of population density and its impact on the way that somebody votes and the Republican party actually changed its identity, um, back in the day. And so only the modern, the last 40 years, plus maybe, maybe 50 years, um, has the democratic party been the democratic party and the Republican party been the Republican party. And then a major shift when Ronald Reagan took over. Um, and that is the knock on effect of what, Reagan is the is the predecessor to everything that has been the knock on effect of that ideology being pushed harder and harder and harder. And now we have the Republican party for what it is right now with a whole bunch of people inside it going, what the hell's going on? I don't want to rock the boat, but what the hell's going on? And then when you look at the states, highly dense locations, swing democratic. Why? Because they want to engage. They want a multitude of voices. That's what Wikipedia is really all about. Although there are abused locations on Wikipedia, the left wing bias is embracing more information, more facts, but trust, but verify, prove that those facts really are the facts. They're not alternative facts. You can't have alternative facts. You only have facts but you can have your voice. You can try and edit something, but there's going to be somebody else there right behind you, sweeping up the hot dumpster fire mess that you leave. If it is factually incorrect and demonstrably. So that's why we have citations. That's why we have references. Science is a target. Facts are a target. It's insane. If, if Wikipedia, if, well, I, for that part, if Wikimedia were to be acquired in a hostile takeover kind of situation and Wikipedia be impacted and opened up for every nutcase claim to be posted in there as if it's fact, well, academia would go back to what it was before. No, no, you cannot cite Wikipedia as a primary source. Look at the references, go back, trust, but verify. Go back and verify all of your references because we're not going to take Wikipedia entries. So that's what it is. The conspiracy is that Wikipedia has a left-wing bias, uh, which is fact-based. I'll take it. Sure. Wikipedia has a fact-based bias. If you can show me where I'm wrong, please come throw it in chat. I'd be happy to discuss it. Uh, the next article though is over in the word in tech new research shows empowering advertisements, fall short on cognitive tests. So, um, this is going to be interesting because I discuss, uh, marketing with, um, quite a few people in, in, in business, strategic management, consulting, um, Yeah, advertisements play a pretty big role in where people spend their money. So advertisements with themes of female empowerment have become more popular in recent years with companies that sell everything from cosmetics to cars. A new study published by a university of Maine professor shows that while these advertisements are perceived as empowering by the women who viewed them, they do not lead to subjects thinking more about empowerment when put to the test. That's pretty fascinating. This is an article that's put together apparently by University of Maine. I don't know if each person at the University of Maine typed one word, um, but it's a a pretty long article. It says, true empowerment gives individuals the perception that they have some control over their life's outcomes and has been empirically linked with positive health impacts like greater community engagement, reduced burnout in the workplace, and overall uh, improved well-being. While there's ample information about the harmful effects of objectification in women's media, there's little evidence to speak to the potentially beneficial effects of empowering messages. And it says here in a quote by Amelia Couture-Beau, assistant professor of media studies in the Department of Communication and Journalism at UMaine, empowerment-themed advertisements are popular among female consumers and for good reason. For many consumers, they represent a refreshing departure from the traditionally objectifying campaigns that women have voiced frustration with for decades. But while it's easy to let our guard down, the presence of empowering narratives doesn't negate the fact that many of these advertisements still contain images and other message themes that we know from prior research to be problematic. So the researchers recruited 273 women ages 18 to 35 to view advertisements with high and low levels of objectification and empowerment. Wow. So, for example, beauty advertisements that included empowerment messages, but also fixated on conventionally beautiful models, physically uh, physical features like those from CoverGirl, Pantene, Under Armour, uh, were considered high in both objectification and empowerment. Yeah, you're beautiful, go seize the world, that kind of thing. Instead of just, you're a woman, go save the world. Or you're a person, go save the world. Or you're a human being, go save the world, that kind of thing. Um, After viewing their randomly assigned advertisement, women were asked about their perceived feelings of empowerment. Then they were asked to perform... Lexical decision tasks, a standard psychological method for quickly uh, distinguishing between words and non-words in order to measure schema activation, which shows whether complex topics have been activated or stimulated in the brain, containing empowerment and uh, objectification themed words. So apparently it didn't activate, although they would report, hey, that seems like an empowering video um, it didn't actually trigger anything in their brain that says yeah i'm feeling empowered so it says in contrast the results from the lexical decision task showed that empowerment themed advertisements are no more effective in activating empowerment schemas for the subjects than traditional advertisements Eh, traditional advertisements are really about raising awareness for that product or service. It has zero really empowerment kind of a thing. What empowerment comes from applying the ability to take control of one's existence. An ad doesn't do that. An ad might point you in a direction, but if you remember, hey, I got my start from an ad, and that's what empowered me to become what I am today, that's a really long slog to show the efficacy of an empowerment ad. Um, And I really doubt, you know, somewhere out of a thousand people, you might find one that remembered the ad that pointed them in the right direction, almost becomes anecdotal. So this is an interesting article. So it's over in media psychology is where it was published. Um, And it reinforced the idea that uh, the relationship between empowerment and objectification in media is complex but it will take more than feminist messaging in a shampoo commercial to create real change. I agree. Um, Advertising really is about triggering a subconscious memory of a product or service and you repeatedly, you know, tap that endorphin rush button. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's there. Have you had a Coke? Lately, uh, you still remember that Coke, right? And how it made you feel, and you got that caffeine and sugar buzz, right? Yeah, let's go have another Coke. That's what the ad is there for. Because if a person has never had a Coke, the ad for a Coke doesn't necessarily make you want to go and have it. Although, seeing happy people might encourage someone to say, does Coke really make me feel that way? And if they're brave enough, then they might go over and try it. But... The ad is really just to trigger that memory. Fight the urge. I guess I lost my Coke advertising. Um, The next article is over in uh, the Hatch Ideas channel. Elon Musk plans to charge, and this is the last one for today, by the way. Um, Elon Musk plans to charge iPhone app users $4 more for Twitter Blue, uh, according to a report. Um, They're... Elon Musk, uh, in their bid to recover forty-five billion dollars and and pay one billion dollars in um, annual interest on this outstanding debt, well, Twitter has to pay it. Leave it like that. Anyway, they're going. Uh, Elon Musk is going to have Twitter raise the price for Twitter Blue, which always sounds like a like a red light district for. Twitter I don't know why um, I guess Twitter red would be the red light district but Twitter blue sounds sus but anyway um, according to uh, the information who reported that uh, they're gonna charge $11 per month for blue if you purchase it via the iPhone app but only $7 because Twitter needs its margin so you raise the price to eleven dollars, and you end up with the same eight dollars or seven dollars or so post you know, Apple tax, even though you wouldn't get that customer if it wasn't for the Apple platform. So of course you're going to punish what is perceived a pretty liberal platform, right? 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 They spend a lot of money. They the the level of Progressive thoughts, processes, activities, socially driven mandates. Oh, my gosh, you know, let's charge more because they don't have your particular ideals. Yeah, this is another one of those poison pill things that I think Elon Musk is driving through Twitter to basically ruin the relationship with advertisers. Um, You know, perhaps not. There's machinations going on inside um, Twitter that a lot of people don't know and uh, are discussing publicly with the as uh, with the if, what if type of phrasing in front of it. What if Elon Musk is doing this um, with a particular reason. I talked about it in a previous episode, but uh, just if it comes true, which other reports like this have come true, uh, Apple is going to have a different price than the website, which happens with other places, naturally. Sometimes that there is a different price for the app version of it than the uh, web price. Um, but we'll see what happens. This is a Business Insider article by Keith Duffy. And uh, here's a picture of Elon Musk saying, um, Yeah, I bought Twitter. And that's pretty much it. It says the, that's a $4 price difference between using an Apple iPhone and the Twitter site to pay for the subscription feature. The report said the price changes were likely to be a response to Apple's 30% levy on in-app transactions made through its App Store. Yeah. And I, I don't know. For me, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I think that... Why am I watching feathers being clipped by somebody? In a village in india it might be an interesting video once i understand the context of it but it's while i'm talking about apple and twitter and elon musk and uh, price disparity so two days after declaring war on apple Musk said that he met with ceo tim cook at apple california headquarters and resolved a misunderstanding over twitter i don't think there's a misunderstanding Musk said the uh said, Cook was clear that Apple never considered removing Twitter from the app store. So you know what you do you, when you're threatened for removal of Twitter from the app store. And then you say, I'm going to remove Twitter from the app store and charge uh, more. If I am back on the app store, uh, I'll never understand. This is that 4D chess that everybody says that Elon Musk is the only one privy to understanding we will continue to watch the dumpster fire. I don't report on it all on Elon Musk or Twitter all the time, but uh, when I do, it's usually something really odd. Um, But it's probably about revenue generation, Um, or it could be about driving users off of the platform um, for the Twitter blue side of things. You know, if you want that blue check mark, you're going to have to pay $11 if you're on Apple. I mean, that makes sense. Anyway, let's do this. I am done for the day. Again, I am Merwatt, and that's Omtown.com. Go over there. Become a citizen. Be sure to follow me. That would be great. Just hit follow. Change that number. Be the change you want to see in the world and want to see that go up. If you don't, I understand, but I hope to see you tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern, all things being equal and I don't get sick. I'm feeling kind of weird right now, so that's why I'm going to hurry up and get out of here. But I will thank you for downloading the podcast or watching the VOD here on Twitch or watching it over on YouTube. Be sure to follow me over there, too. Um, But I'm going to get out of here. And uh, much thanks.